Only on a Sunday, a podcast about more than church. Welcome to the Only on a Sunday podcast. My name is Daniel Lowry, and I'm joined by my wife, Kristen. Hello. This season, we are focusing on reimagining prayer. What does prayer look like in terms of Jesus' invitation to abide in Him and His directive to live out our spiritual authority in bringing about the Great Commission? Today, we have the privilege of Tom Ashbrook joining us. Hello. Good to be with you again. We're so excited to have you today. You are back for another episode, which is just thrilling. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode three yet, please go back, listen. We do a full bio there. It's rather impressive. I was telling Dan, you're like a lot alike in that way that you apparently never stopped going to school. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) it's really neat because you can hear it in your teaching. You have a real gravitas. Today, we're going to summarize by saying he is a missionary with Imago Christi through Novo and an author of many books, including Mansions of the Heart, Seven Stages of Spiritual Growth, which he unpacks in detail in episode three. So we're so excited to have you back, Tom. Welcome. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. So let's jump right in. Last episode, we talked a little bit about, you know, Teresa of Avila, the mansions, our own prayer journey, intimacy with Christ, uh, kind of what that looks like. And you've described that in some of your writings as as maybe being summed up in our first order calling, taken from, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but taken from the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When we ask ourselves, what's our purpose? You know, what what's God's will for our life? Well, it's pretty easy. I mean, love God, right? That's a good place to start. That's like our first order calling. And for me, that was revolutionary because I had never thought of like, loving God in terms of calling language or a calling metaphor. And so you've talked about that, but then you also have this idea of a second order calling, which comes out of also the great commandment, love the love your neighbor as yourself. And so today what I, what I wanted to do is, is maybe jump off that idea of what is your understanding of the second order calling and, and how does it relate to prayer and our intimacy with Jesus? And then we're going to jump off into mission. And what would it look like for the church today if we were putting in practice loving God? Like, what would our mission look like? What would our gatherings look like? What, what, would, our, what would our communities and worship models look like? So that's a lot we're going to talk about. So, Tom, I hope you're ready. <laughs> but why don't you just jump off and, and give us a little understanding of your meaning by second order calling? Well, I might uh, reverse that, Dan, in a way, because if I asked somebody or you had asked me at one point, you know, Kristen, what's your calling? You would have understood my question probably as what we're talking about as second order calling. In other words, what are you called to do to serve the Lord? And so traditionally, that's the way calling has been used in the church. And so what that does is if my calling from God is primarily to serve him, then that, as a follower of Jesus, is where I focus. I mean, that's, that's my calling. That's, that's important. But when we look at those passages that you were talking about, Dan, that we realize that, no, Tom, your first order calling 
is to love the Lord, is to be, live in a loving relationship with him. And then your second order calling out of that first order calling to love God is to love your neighbor. And Jesus then says, you know, we love because he first loved us, right? I mean, it's his love within us that enables us to fulfill our second order calling, whether it's, you know, whatever it looks like to, to serve the kingdom of God and to serve serve Jesus. And so what's happened, I think, and why that's an important place is because typically Christian workers downplay, maybe I wouldn't say ignore, but their first order calling. And so it, Barna tells us that most pastors say they don't have time to pray. They don't have a regular active prayer. Life. Most pastors respond they're too busy in their second order calling to spend time in their first. And, you know, I shared with you in our last session, that was, that was me. I mean, that was me too. You know, I prayed about everything just on the run and, <laughs> you know, gave God his 37 seconds to talk back and then, but didn't really expect him to. So, but what we see clearly in the Gospels is that it is our relationship with Jesus out of which comes the, the power, the knowledge, the wisdom, the ability to pursue our second order calling of service and to the kingdom of God. So the love of God, I'm writing another book, which I'll put a plug into. I think it's going to be called Connected, A Love Affair with God. But if we really look at what the word agape means in Scripture, the way I talk about it is life-giving connectedness with God. He actually connects with us. That The love of God isn't primarily an emotion. It isn't primarily good things he does to us. Those can certainly be part of it. But it's being connected to us in a life-giving way. As we talked about last time, the vine and the branches— Abide in me, abide in my love, Jesus says, in that, in that same teaching about that connectedness. And so it's this connectedness to God, this loving God. It's not generating an emotional feeling for him. And loving our neighbor isn't generating a loving feeling for maybe people we don't even know and or just doing nice things for them. Anybody can do that. But and then Jesus says, uh, as as part of this second order, love one another as I've loved you. And we can get born to it, but that's where amazing things happen. That's where Jesus says, when that happens, ask whatever you want, and I'll do it for you. Went, really? And so, so as we understand this loving God as being connected with Him, God so loved the world that He gave Himself. Right. And then in John, the Gospel of John is so amazing. You know, abide in me, I in you. I pray, Father, that they might be one. I and them, you and me. I'm this connectedness. And in this connectedness is where our ability to do our second order calling, the power, the spiritual authority, everything flows out of that. The Apostle Paul teaches us that the spiritual gifts are worthless without love. He's not just talking about emotion here. I mean, he's saying faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we think, what? Faith is what receives salvation, right? I mean, hope's what keeps us going with the Lord. But so why is love trump everything? Well, that's the connectedness 
to God. Now, that's being in Christ and him in us. And so it's out of this place of being connected to the person of Jesus, to the Trinity, that that our ability to, to serve the Lord in the coming of the kingdom emerges. Mm, yeah, I, I, I find it beautiful, that John passage. I mean, I've read John 15 more times than I can imagine, but I, I don't know why I never saw, you know, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Right. I don't know how I glossed over the bear much fruit <laughs> part, you know, for the last 25 years of ministry. And when you were talking about as a pastor, you don't have time to pray. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to tell on all of us <laughs> and, and my dear friends in the pastorate, you don't have time to pray. We don't even have time to read our Bibles. You know, most of the Bible reading we do, I don't know if you're, you're the same, Tom, I'm, I'm assuming you were. Most of the Bible reading you do is prepping for a sermon. Like that's, that's what you do. I've been to denominational conferences, pastoral gatherings where we, we never prayed. You know, you just, you just got to get kind of get down to business, <laughs> so yeah. to speak. So this whole idea for me of like, no, 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 no. Start with the intimacy. It's about being with Jesus. It, it just the inherent fact that I'm called to love him. It's like just mind blowing. And then from that, comes this this idea of mission in that intimacy produces mission. I'm reminded of the Hernhut community. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they did the 100-year uh, prayer gathering. And they got together and prayed, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year for like a hundred and something years straight, right? And I would think about that like, okay, well, that's pretty convicting, number one. It's pretty awesome, number two. But the third one that often gets overlooked in that is from that prayer meeting or from that community started the modern missions movement. Mm -hmm. As they gathered together, as they were intimate, and as you say, Tom, as they learned what it means to to love one another, Mm -hmm. that's when that mission just exploded. And I think so much of what's happening in our churches, and I'm guilty of this as a pastor, is we want mission without community and intimacy, or we think we can separate them. So could you talk a little bit more to us about what might our communities, our houses of worship, our churches look like, how we might engage one another differently if we took seriously this first order and second order calling? Well, if we realize that our mission comes out of our connectedness, first with Jesus, and second, our connectedness with one another, right? That it it is this connection. I I use the term in, in my book, contagious fire. There is something about the fire of Jesus' love for us that drew people to him by the thousands, right? A nobody and in his earthly life. And then we see it with the apostles. You know, what's going on in Jerusalem? What, and people were being added to their number day by day. Well, you know, was it great preachers? Was it wonderful music? I mean, none of that. It, mm-hmm. it, they said, see how they love one another. Mm-hmm. Right. So John says in his gospel, God is love. Yeah. You know, in his epistle, right? God is love. And so when people experience the fire of God's love in us and see it in our relationships, again, not affection, but 
the person of Jesus, that they're drawn to that. We've been created by God to long for that, right? I mean, but through sin yeah. and our fall, right? We, but we still long for Jesus. We may not know it's Jesus we long for. We may, right. we may look in all the wrong places for what meets our heart's desire, for what gives life meaning and purpose and brings stability. But when people see that in us, there's something in them, the way God has designed uh, the very human spirit that recognizes this is what I've always wanted. So, mm -hmm. so how is it then that in our own intimacy with Jesus, we live out being connected to him? And then we live out our relationships together as believers, as being connected to him. And people spot that. Uh, they. We saw this in the in the Mormon community again when I was pastoring in Salt Lake City area. Mm -hmm. Is you know they've been to church all their lives, but somebody came up to me and said, "You guys really worship mm -hmm. Jesus." They could sense it, they could feel it. They they'd had teaching, they'd had this, that, all this stuff, but they they yeah. sensed a reality in people who genuinely were connected to one another in Jesus. And tell me more about that. Tell me more about it. So how we do life together, I think in the church, in our mission communities, in our Christian relationships can become about spotting Jesus in one another. We don't just share a common theology. We don't share a common great commission, if you will. But again, the vine and the branches, Jesus says, I and you, you and me, we're here together. So I'm sitting here on Zoom and I'm looking at your faces right now. And I'm looking at the very person of Jesus Christ in you. He's there. I can't see him there, but I know he's there. So there's there's not three of us in this podcast talking right now, right? There are four of us, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we take that reality seriously, people see it, they notice. And so mission emerges because God is contagious. Love is contagious. It's what we all long for. And so as we live together as brothers and sisters in Christ, I think it's important for us to cherish that, to learn how to live in it together. So how do we pray together, for example? You know, how many committee meetings have I been to where it's, it's all about getting something done? And it can be fixing the plumbing at church or it can be a mission trip, right? I mean, at any end of the, but I'd have to be bleeding on the carpet before somebody would say, Tom, are you okay? <laughs> right? Right? We've all been Very there. true. Yes. No, yes, we, we have. We prayed about the mission trip. We, yep. you know, prayed about the plumbing. We, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're trying to do the right thing here, but right. we, we haven't taken our connection seriously. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I might be mm -hmm. fine or I might say, well, you know, and do we have the level of trust together? where I don't say, well, my aunt is having surgery next week and leave it at that. But I, I can say, you know, I'm struggling over this. I'm Charlotte right. and I had a fight the other night and we still are folding arms at each other. And, you know, whatever may be, would you pray for me? 
Hmm. You know, could I confess something to you hmm. and have you speak the Lord's forgiveness to me? So I take seriously that Jesus is in the room. Yeah. When we're together and we, again, and, you know, Lutheran churches are made up of committees. I mean, you know, you, it's fortunately got the Trinity as a committee, see, so they've got <laughs> biblical, but, you know, it's Robert's Rules of Order. But, I mean, people say, ah, we've got to take this time to pray, you know, and, we, you know, share, okay, pastor, you know. But then we got to yeah. work on it half the time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Because the Holy Spirit's just in it. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the things that we— is we look at how do we live out this life-giving connectedness, not only with the Lord, but with one another in the life of the church. If that's when Jesus says, when that happens, when you're one, then the world will know that the Father sent me. Hmm. Yeah, you you know, you bring up a really good point because that's going to lead to a question for us is, so then are our current worship services slash models, do they allow for that? Right. right. So so is our worship service allowing for intimacy, you know, that that vertical kind of thing? Well, probably not in the sense of we're all going for professionalism, right? Like this service has to be perfect, on point. And the way you gauge professionalism from a former pastor is the less amount of dead time you have, <laughs> the more professional it is. Right. Like professionalism is found not so much in the sermons or the music. It's found in the in-betweens, the transitions. We can't have any silence. We got to go from one thing to the right. next. We and then seamless. Yeah, it's seamless, right? Seamless. Then when you when you look at it in terms of community and loving one another, we have decided that having coffee in the foyer will cover that. <laughs> <laughs> like let's have some donuts and you know we'll come together we'll get our sermons and our you know sing our songs and then we'll meet outside for a few minutes have coffee i mean those conversations aren't too in depth and then we're going to go but then as a church you know we'll say but we really do want to foster community so we have these other small groups that meet somewhere else and do something else so what are we saying as a church that the thing that we should really be doing together, community, learning to love one another, we do on the side at other events. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So I guess for, for you, Tom, in your experience with churches, what, what are you seeing that ch- how churches are kind of changing the way they're gathering? Well, first, I think what's the center and what's on the side? Hmm. So for us, we've kind of defined church as Sunday morning and what goes on there, right? And so there's only so much you can do there, right? I mean, you particularly larger churches, they've got got a couple hundred people in there. They got a thousand people in there. And so how do you do intimacy in that kind of setting? Well, you, you, you can't. And so, but I think there are some things we can do. I think it, it begins with leadership whether it's the primary preaching pastor or other parts of ministry teams, do they live out that connectedness themselves? Do they pray together? Do they pray for one another? Are they open and vulnerable with one another? People spot that. They spot that in a hurry. So again, just as pastors, we can get too busy to pray. Well, we can get too busy to pray with one another. We can get too busy to spend quality time together. We're 
we become employees of the church to do certain functions. And I was talking to a pastor uh, on the staff of a large church, and he says, everything that each of our staff does has metrics, and we have to measure those metrics. So for the preaching pastor, it's how many people came to church today. And uh, and so small groups pastor, it's how many, and so on. So their times together are really to deal with those metrics. How are we doing? And it's not a hostile thing, but it's, do we develop, do we model as pastors, as elders, as leadership teams, the kind of connectedness we'd like to invite our people into? And right. so, so that I think that, you know, Sunday morning, I think, does our preaching and teaching model, do we talk about that at all? I mean, we can inadvertently teach that being a follower of Jesus is about understanding the correct information. Yeah. You know, and wow, I've never heard the creation story told that way. That's amazing. But yeah. it's not life-changing, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. yeah. So mm-hmm. if we see loving God and loving one another as a value, are we preaching and teaching about it? And are we sharing personal stories about our relationships? And so people can hear that. I think music can be another way that, you know, just take the word he out and put you in a song, for example, right? right. So I'm, I'm really worshiping. I'm, I'm talking to the Lord when I'm singing mm-hmm. and not just talking about him. I mean, simple, the, the music that we pick, is it, are there songs of intimacy? And uh, so, you know, you, you guys are too young to remember, you know, the song, I love you, Lord. And I, you're right. But. Oh yeah. I, I know that one. No, wait, yeah. that's, a, that's a camp. That's camp. Uh, last night, a camp song. Yeah. Everybody I knows mean, that one. <laughs> but that's been hugely powerful mm. in the church over the years because where else am I invited to publicly say, I love you, Lord? Yeah. You know, and yeah, people would tear up when they'd sing that. I just, they don't sing, I love the Lord. I love you, Lord. And I lift yeah. my voice uh, to worship you. And so I think our, our choice of music can give people opportunity to, to express what really is in their heart. But have it be okay to say, I love the Lord. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is that song is usually acapella. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And so we, it's almost like you, when you step back from the professionalism, the production element, and just like, I get teary just thinking about it. Just let people express that themselves with nothing added. Then, like you were saying, everybody cries. It's just beautiful. But often we don't really give that time or place. So when I'm hearing you talk about this whole concept of abiding and community and loving in the Sunday morning context, part of me wonders, or the thing that comes to my mind is getting to that place where we're vulnerable to really experience those things is quite messy. And it's maybe, I don't know if we're afraid of it. I mean, I'm sure part of it is that we're afraid of getting into all the emotions and such, but maybe it's just easier 
to kind of stick to, I know this about God and I'm going to learn this about God, but I really don't want to ruin my mascara by by getting vulnerable on a Sunday morning. Is that, I don't know if you would say that's what you've observed, but that's what I think of maybe. Well, and that's, and that's very real. And it may be real for the majority of people, but we can provide opportunities to enter into relationships safely. So, you know, when we just become friends, then we're hesitant to go to the messy place. You know, we do what feels safe to us. And, but as we develop relationships, then we risk a little bit more and we find out who we can be vulnerable with and who it's not so safe to be vulnerable with. And again, if we consider Sunday morning the center of the body of Christ, then we say, well, that's too hard to do. You know, how can I, you know, the coffee hour is a good thing. I mean, if I can stop and say, hey, let's have coffee, really have coffee, right? Uh, Later in the week, or let's get together, or we provide small groups that are, again, sensitive to where people are in the journey. And we use our ministry teams as places to, to learn to trust one another. We talk about what makes a place safe, confidentiality. And so, you know, I don't want to, confess something to you that gets put on the prayer chain, right? And Mm, then in people's Facebook discussion and so on. So, but I think if we find the really growing places is where people connect in a meaningful way, then we can begin to learn. We don't need all kinds of places. It's like deep, meaningful friendships. We don't need a hundred people in that. We can't maintain that, right? But we can be close to a few And that's where we live out and have people that help us grow in our faith, develop real spiritual community. And then I think, so there are places in our life together as a church where people can get close enough to us. I've got a Contagious Fire cohort going with a group of pastors right now working through the book, and we'll be at it about a year. And so they're talking about this contagious love thing. And they said, well, you know, I can't touch most of my people. You know, I can I can preach a sermon, but so no one of us can touch very many people in a meaningful way. But mm-hmm. if enough of us are at it in the various circles where we so if to be a Sunday school teacher means that we hang out a little bit as Sunday school teachers and we plan, and we pray together and we, you know, we develop a relationship that is safe. And if so there are all different kinds of opportunities in the life of the body that where we can do that. And then there may be some small groups where, again, I found the question, how can I pray for you to be a door opener in a lot of different settings? And very few people, I mean, at first they may trivialize that. Well, you can pray well of good skiing today. That's a Colorado thing. But pretty <laughs> soon they realize you mean it. And yeah. so then it's, well, then they share. Mm-hmm. how they need prayer right now. And they see that you care. And next time you ask them, how's that thing going? And then maybe pretty soon they'll ask me, well, Tom, how can I pray for you? And so I try to share something that's meaningful and appropriate, not trivial. And so a, re- a spiritual relationship then begins to build. And so I think in the life of our communities, then how do we invite people 
into those kinds of relationships at levels that that are safe for them that uh, yeah. are comfortable it's not it's not over their head and oh my goodness you know it's and prayer then becomes i think a good place to enter in you know i don't have to share every wounded part of my whole history but if i can be meaningfully engage with somebody at a level of prayer where I am now in my life, that's huge. And so I think another thing that is important is that I've really recognized more not being in the pulpit, but being in Novo and sitting in the pew is casting vision for mission. Mm. And what I realize is that in the several different churches I've been part of in the last 10 years, or 20 really in Novo, that the pastor preaches about his or her vision. And I might agree with it. I might think that's great, you know, but what would it be like if I was invited to discover the vision God's put on my heart for loving my neighbor, right? Right. That I don't have to just join a program at the church, although there may be a perfect one for me. If I want to connect to people, what group of people are meaningful for me? The kids or the elderly or homeless or, and what would it mean to enter into loving my neighbor, connecting with other people in a way that fits my gifting, fits my value system. And then instead of being told this is our vision, because we all know in the church, every pastor comes up with a new vision every two years. Uh-huh. Right? So I'm not yeah. going to really take it too seriously, because about the time Only I get two on years, board, Tom. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah. About the time your, I get on your, board, the church yeah. is on to something else. And yeah. mm-hmm. But if then I can come and say, pastor or small group leader or ministry team leader or whatever, you know, if the Lord could enable me to do whatever I wanted to serve him in loving and reaching out with a great commission to the world, mm-hmm. how do I do that? You know, could yeah. you help me figure out how that could work? And, yeah. you know, then in the body, that pastor or leader could send up a trial broom. Hey, is anybody interested in that? Well, if the Lord's in it, there's going to be two or three other people who say, whoa, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. And so now... The love of God for me, helping me, because I hear evangelism and how many people would raise their hand that they're evangelists in church, right? I mean, you know, not me, me, you know, and it, (laughs) because we see it as, as telling people information, not abiding together. And so how do we evoke vision in one another? You know, how do we dream dreams and see visions? I mean, that's what scripture says happens when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so, but in the spiritual formation movement, I think we've talked a lot about, and this is still going on, the inward journey. So we want people to focus on their first order calling, but, you know, most pastors will say, yeah, my, that's the problem. My whole congregation is on an inward journey. It's all about them, right? How do I get them to yeah. look? beyond their own needs and their own selves to a world that's hurting and dying and needs the Lord Jesus. And so I think as we look at first order and second order, when Jesus says, follow me, he means it, right? He, yeah. So I think that 
the spiritual formation journey isn't just about taking more time for yourselves and going on retreats. I mean, all that's important. We meet Jesus in one another, and then we meet him in that person that's longing for him, but just hasn't quite connected yet, or has connected but hasn't gotten much more than religion and needs needs to go deeper. And so if our life in following Jesus is the experience of interacting with him, that becomes exciting. I mean, no worship song can compare to that, right? I mean, that's that's life changing and no sermon can can repeat that. So that's good. You know, it's interesting when when you talk about we all have our second order calling in this inward journey, you know, scripture tells us invites us into that secret place, right? The place where Jesus has crafted us and made us, right? And and in that place, Jesus is there, right? But then as you talk about in community, that's where we see Jesus, right? We see Jesus in one another. And there's that scripture, you know, where two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst, right? But there's also a mission passage that talks, you know, I think it's Matthew 25, that Jesus is, you can find him with the poor. His presence is with the marginalized, right? Mm -hmm. So there is this dynamic of we don't experience the full presence of Jesus unless mission is a part of our our life, Mm -hmm. right? But that also means that we have to change some leadership models, don't we? Because most of our leadership models entail Moses going up on the mountain, having his intimate time, coming back down and telling us all what it was, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And and then, you know, we're supposed to go from there. But one of the th- other things I wanted to ask you about a little bit is this dynamic of, how do you say it? I think you call it facing the dragon together, the idea of spiritual warfare, that prayer is, there's a dynamic to it that's more than the abiding Jesus and I are praying for one another or blessing. Like there is this real kind of warfare that happens. Can you just kind of describe to us a little of your understanding of spiritual warfare, first order calling, second order calling? Well, I think, first of all, just that's an important point. And I think much of the church minimizes spiritual warfare. I mean, how many sermons do we hear about it? And so, I mean, there are tons of Christians who don't believe there's such a thing as the devil and Satan. You know, it's it's the personification of evil in the world, and it's an excuse to not take responsibility for your own mess-ups. And so, but Scripture obviously is, you know, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities. I mean, the enemy really thinks he owns this place and uh, is going to do everything he can to keep it. So, it is Christ in us, right? It is our connectedness that gives us any ability to stand against him. Right. I mean, the the full armor of God is the person of Jesus. Right. Yes. And so our ability to resist the enemy and he'll flee is the presence of he who is within us is stronger than he is within the world. Our ability to not let fear rule our lives. Perfect love casts out fear. Well, perfect love is God. Right. And yeah. so yeah. these whole things are connected. And. And we see the again the teaching about the body of Christ and the the multiple gifts given to us, and so Jesus just never intended us to enter this warfare alone or to just say, "Well, God will take care of it." I mean, we're going to get attacked, and wherever we're, I mean, Jesus got attacked, right? I mean, in the desert, he tempted, and 
Gethsemane and tons of other places. You know, the enemy tried to foul him up. And so I think we need to be serious about that. Again, I I learned to really take that seriously in Salt Lake City. And people who became Christians needed deliverance. I mean, they'd been deluded for a number of, you know, and so we could say that of anybody really that hasn't known the Lord. So whether it's a country, a city, our connectedness brings with it an authority and a power that we just see operating in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And so I I think, you know, we need to be be serious about that. And it doesn't have to be scary or loud or anything else. We, like I said, we taught our kids to minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit when they were in confirmation. That's a Lutheran thing, but right. So seventh, eighth, ninth grade and got home from a retreat. And I would tell the kids now, look, your parent, you may have had some more experience here than your parents have had. So don't just start telling wild stories and, you know, just <laughs> kind of ease them into it. And kids got home from camp and this woman calls me that I didn't know and says, I heard that you cast a demon out of my daughter. And mm-hmm. so I asked her to identify herself. And then I remembered this daughter came as a guest uh, with one of our kids. And I said, well, you could put it that way. And that's the way the daughter put it. But I said, the devil was giving your daughter a hard time. Mm. And we made him stop. Yeah. Is that okay? Mm. Or I said, is that a problem? And she says, oh, no, my daughter's wonderful. Our daughter's been gone for some years, and she's finally home. And that whole family came and became Christians. And so that's just a real part of all of our lives. I mean, Mm -hmm. and so from a missional warfare on the outside to one another, I can say we've been interrupted how many times in this podcast by the Internet going out? I know. And so what do we do, right? We pray. (laughs) And it came right back on. And we're yeah. Hungry. I can go out for days. And so, uh, you know, so the first time I ever did that, I was talking with a missionary from Africa. And uh, our inter- we started having internet trouble. And he said, well, they're internet demons. Let's just pray them out. And I almost chuckled because I thought, but he was serious. So we did. The internet came right back on. <laughs> so I've been doing it ever since. I mean, but this guy knew about warfare, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. But it really is, you know, I, I often talk to people that feel very reticent to pray that way, right? To pray in, against the demonic or principalities and powers, you know, kind of whatever your theological language will allow for, <laughs> to pray for healing, to, to pray for blessing. And I've, I've found in my own life, is when I struggle with that, either I feel inadequate to do that, I feel unworthy to do that, or maybe that's someone else's place, or I'm a little afraid, it always can come back to, well, I haven't been with Jesus. Because when I've been with Jesus, I'm just looking for people. <laughs> come here, you know, I <laughs> come over here. I'm going to pray with you. Like I have this this confidence, you know, this 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 audacious faith, what you call this this contagious fire. And, you know, I would just encourage anyone that's listening is like, man, all that stuff is there for you. Just really hone in on that first order calling. And I think that second order calling will just kind of, it bursts, right? You'll have the vision Mm -hmm. and the dream. And so as we close up our time, Tom, I just want to give space for you. What would you say to the person that's listening to this podcast 
and they're really maybe through some work that the Holy Spirit's already been doing in their lives, and they're coming to like, yes, I know there's more in prayer. I I just I I know it. They feel that tug of the Holy Spirit come to me, right? That move from mansion three to four, <laughs> five to seven, whatever it is. What word of encouragement would you give to people? Uh, well, I guess say yes, right? I mean, Jesus is our good shepherd. We're not too difficult a case for him. And so we may feel inadequate. We may feel scared. We may feel, I don't know if I get too close, you know, whatever. But just to, to accept the invitation to say yes and not worry about doing it wrong or whatever, you know, it can read good books about prayer and that those are all, that's always helpful. And, but if we just say yes and, and make it about, you know, Jesus, right? Not, not a system, a technique, but just about being with him and, and in a way that is comfortable for us. So I ask people sometimes, well, if you were to have some alone time with Jesus, uh, just the two of you, where in the world would you most like to be? And I mean, the variety of answers you get is all over the map, right? I mean, at the beach, in the woods, uh, in my study, uh, Starbucks, uh, I mean, you, you name it. So well, just imagine yourself with him there. Just enjoy being with him there. Be attentive, you know, say what you need to say and be still. So we have a good shepherd that is doing just what you said, Dan, and that is he's inviting us. Come away with me. Come on. Let's uh, get to know each other even better. And so I think as we sense that invitation in us, you know, and spiritual direction is, is something that's available to us now in a really healthy way in the Protestant community. And so that can be another thing to do is to seek out someone that's a little ahead of us in the journey and say, would you, would you coach me here a little bit? Would you listen with me? And I really want to deepen that relationship with the Lord, and I'm not sure what to do. And So would you listen with me? Would you discern with me? And so there are a number of seminaries now that not too many years ago, Catholic priests and nuns and monks were the only ones that did spiritual direction, right? Well, now there are thousands and thousands of trained spiritual directors within our Protestant communities. And so that can be another thing that if somebody says, well, I need some help, and they don't know somebody personally, sometimes we may have people in our churches or our pastor who knows how to help us. But so, yeah, so the couple of things that come to mind. Yeah, he is our good shepherd, isn't he? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, Tom, five takes and we made it. We <laughs> made it to the end. Yeah. We did it. For those of you listening, five takes. Yeah. We thank you for your patience and, and just being here. We've loved having yeah. you. If you're listening again, please check out the ministry Tom's part of through Novo Amago Christi. Also check out his website, Contagious Fire, which talks about his book. And, you know, if you find yourself in a leadership or pastoral role, really uh, encourage you to check out that resource. Be on the lookout for his next book on uh, Agape Love. I'm looking forward to reading that myself. But with that being said, thanks for joining us for this episode of Only on a Sunday. Next week, we have the opportunity to speak with Eric Hesse from Berlin, Germany, who will be sharing with us about the Berlin Prayer Experiment. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast and feel free to check out what we're doing at the LowrysOnMission.org or on Facebook at the Lowry's on Mission. 
Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.